0: You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so excited for this new teaching series, No Hurry. One of the things I like about uh, this teaching series is not only the topic, but I I love that it's both a command and an encouragement. Do you see that? Like, no hurry, like, slow down, and, and maybe some of us need to hear that. We need, we need a little bit of a talking to when it comes to the pace of our lives, but it's also an encouragement. Uh, one of my favorite things is when uh, I'm running late for something, and I know I'm going to be 15, 20 minutes late, so I'll, I'll shoot the person a text. I'm like, I know they're at the coffee shop, I know they're waiting for me, and they text back one of the best two words that they can text back is what? No hurry, right? And, uh, and maybe some of you need to hear that as an encouragement today. Uh, maybe to hear those words from Jesus today, that he invites us into his way of life, and it is a way without Hurry. Uh, This series, another thing I'm excited about is there's a bunch of additional resources that uh, really are available to you throughout this five week teaching series. One is uh, this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, We had this book in our resource area. I say had because this is our last copy uh, that we have over there. It's flying off the shelves. Uh, We have ordered a few more, but just for clarification about our resource area, it's not really a bookstore. We don't expect to be able to buy enough resources for everyone in the church and stock that there. So I'd encourage you, if you're at all interested in reading uh, this book, instead of waiting for us to have some, I would say just wherever you usually buy books, just like Amazon, Kindle, you know, ebook, whatever. Uh, I would encourage you to check out this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There's also a five week uh, video Bible study series on Right Now Media, which our church subscribes to. So if you're in a life group or you're doing a Bible study right now, that would be a great uh, video series to do following along with this teaching series. And there's also a YouVersion reading plan. So we've got like all these additional resources. We don't do this with every single teacher teaching series, but whenever we've done it, it's been awesome to see how God has used all of these different areas to to really kind of help shape and form us. Uh, The book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, the title for that comes from a conversation between the, this guy, Dallas Willard, he's kind of a spiritual uh, giant, and his, the, the man he was mentoring at the time, John Ortberg, and John Ortberg called Dallas Willard on the phone, and he was explaining all these things, uh, all these kind of shortcomings in his spiritual growth and formation, and he said, Dallas Willard, who was mentoring him at the time, what must I do? And this is Dallas Willard's response. He says, You must eliminate hurry. He says, Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg, you know, this is like landlines at the time, right? He's on the phone, he, he jots it down. He's like, Got it. What else? And Dallas Willard said, There is nothing else. This is the most important thing. Uh, we all suffer from something called hurry sickness. Uh, it's actually kind of a clinical, you know, a clinically diagnosable, you know, kind of mental health disorder. Uh, but John Mark Comer defines hurry sickness like this: a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. So it's that feeling of I'm always late. I've always got something else to do. The task list is never done. Your email inbox is never fully emptied. And the moment you stop, you feel like you're you need to be doing something. And so you fill that time with digital distraction. Now, whether you have kind of like uh, this in an extreme level or maybe even just a surface level, John Mark Comer gives us 10, I would encourage you, here's 10 different symptoms to maybe jot down the ones that you see in yourself. So let's run through these 10 different symptoms. The first one is irritability. How easily do you get angry? right? Is it just the big stuff or is it like, you know, the Lego that you step on on the ground? Like it's the tiny stuff really gets to you. Uh, That's one of the first symptoms. The second symptom is hypersensitivity. So not only maybe are you easily angered, but you have a difficult time letting go of that anger. Things keep you up at night, right? You hold grudges. You stay bitter for a long time. Number three, restlessness. This is when you know you're tired, but you just can't sleep. Right, Your physical body is exhausted. Emotionally, you're exhausted, but you lay down, but you've been moving so fast throughout the day that your mind just won't stop. Uh, Workaholism. This is nonstop activity at work or at home. A telltale sign of this is when you're at home, you're thinking about work, and when you're at work, you're thinking about... About, about At work, yeah. Or you're thinking about home, right? You're, you have a difficult time delineating between, you know, the chores that you have to do at home and the tasks you have to do at work. Uh, the next one is emotional numbness. This is when you just stop caring. You kind of, you know, things that used to make you really excited, you're like, meh. Or things that you even used to, to bug you. You, you, just, you just don't fe- have a difficult time feeling things anymore because you're so tired, uh, you're just tired of feeling in general. The next one is out of order priorities. This is when you do the things that are urgent, but you neglect the things that are the most important. So the most, only the most recent emails in your inbox get checked, but there's ones that are really quite important further on down the line that you keep putting off. Another telltale sign of hurry sickness is lack of care for your body. So your sleep, your exercise, your diet, that all goes by the wayside. You're so busy doing all of these things that you don't have time to take care of yourself. Another one is escapist behaviors. So pick your distraction of choice. It's the doom scrolling through social media. It's the online shopping. It's the Netflix binge watching. It could even be uh, coping mechanisms like alcohol or overeating. Anything to get that quick dopamine hit, and then you're back at it. Uh, the, the, one of the, the last ones is slippage of spiritual disciplines. And I've read a number of studies that shows that uh, Bible reading is, is usually the first thing to go, where people can kind of say, well, yeah, I still pray at meals or, you know, like a quick prayer before bed, but, but actually taking time to open up God's word. Many Christians in America, practicing Christians, have not opened the Bible outside of church in the last week. And is that you? And then the last one, I think this is the most serious symptom of hurry sickness, is isolation. Disconnection from God, others, and your very own soul. Let's all just take a breath. How you doing? <laughs> uh, happy October. Hurry, sickness is serious, and whether you are maybe you fall into one or two of those, or eight or nine or ten of those, we need to slow down. We need to, a, a better way, and, and I say we because I hope you don't hear me preaching this sermon you, but I want you to know that I'm right there with you. Uh, I tend to be a type A driven, get things done kind of guy, personality wise. Uh, I'm also incredibly busy (laughs) kind of guy. I want to give you a glimpse into a week ago Friday. So last weekend, uh, my wife went on a ladies trip out of town and, and I was home uh, last weekend with my three small children, my three daughters. And uh, let me just give you a glimpse of like my morning last Friday morning. I'm also trying to train for a marathon right now. So I was supposed to do a long run. So I had to wake up early and I did my long run and I was stuck behind a school bus on the way home. You know, it's like, ah, I literally had to like go around this school bus to get home on time. And then I hopped in the shower and then I uh, loaded everyone up, everyone, the kids all in the van. Uh, Took my wife, dropped her off so she could go on her road trip. And then it's like, okay, oldest daughter needs to go to preschool. But first, you got to get donuts. And so we swing by the donut shop. We get the donuts. This is how you do it, by the way. You get the kids all sugared up and drop them off at school. (laughs) drop her off at school, and then we rush home because the baby needs a bottle, and make the bottle, and then get the baby down for a nap. And I had foolishly scheduled a very important Zoom meeting at 10 a.m. on Friday. Now, usually, I try not to schedule anything work-related on Fridays because it's my day off. That's just a little tip for you, Friday and Saturday my day off, so don't expect me to respond uh, to emails or work things, but uh, this was a very important meeting, and the other people in the meeting, they could only do it Friday at 10 a.m., and so I'm like, okay, one daughter's at school, one daughter's down for a nap, here's a TV show for the middle kid, all right, and uh, I sneak away, and I get on my Zoom call, and and no sooner am I on my, my Zoom meeting than Rosie, our middle daughter, comes out, and she needs a snack, so I'm like throwing snacks at her while I'm on the Zoom meeting, and then she has to pee, and she needs help getting on the pot, so I'm literally, this is me, last Friday, like, on the Zoom, I'm not, I don't have the background blocked out or anything, I'm like, yeah, like, nodding, and I'm like, trying to help my daughter, like, sit on the potty. (laughs) It was a mess. It was a disaster, and I can tell you that the rest of the week, my heart felt that buzz of anxiety from rushing all weekend. And I neglected the Sabbath last weekend, which I usually practice every single week as a spiritual discipline. So do you hear me? I'm not preaching this at you. I'm right here with you. This is something we all need to hear. The reality is hurry hurts us. And yet, in our modern American digital society, we wear hurry and busyness like a badge of honor. But hurry actually hurts us. Pete Scazzaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, says it like this. This is catchy. You can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. It's easy to remember. Warp speed without warping your soul. He goes on to explain why this is so dangerous. He says, and even if you somehow manage to keep from dropping all of the balls that you're juggling. So by the way, that's like really the only metric that we measure for success. Well, did you get the thing done? Did you still do the Zoom call? Did the baby still go down for a nap, right? That's the task list items are our only metric of success. This is what he says. Even if you get everything done, the speed at which you're living and leading is exacting a hidden toll. Warp speed will blind you to the damage you are doing to your own soul every time. And this is why hurry sickness is so deceptive, because you don't even realize you're doing damage because you're so busy doing everything else. And I would argue our relationships are the thing that suffers the most. John Ortberg, uh, the one to whom Dallas Willard said that line, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. In his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, this is what he says, the most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. There's no drive by loving someone, there's no microwave version of loving your children significantly when Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 writes the love chapter he gives all of these attributes of what love is you want to know what the very first one is love is love is patient can you be patient and be in a hurry you cannot we know that those things are fundamentally opposites and Paul says love is patient how patient are you How much time do you have for actually loving the people that are most important to you in your life? How much time do you have for loving God? I would argue many Christians today are just too busy for God, and they're too busy to love their neighbor as himself. And so we need a different way, don't we? We need to be taught a different way. And the beauty of Jesus is he invites us into another way of life. This passage that we're looking at today is an invitation from Jesus from Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is a passage that's worth memorizing for anyone, but especially if you're on the upper end of the 10 symptoms for hurry sickness. This would be a good, ma- uh, a good passage. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Memorize it. The month of October, you can memorize three verses, can't you? Right? Memorize that passage, meditate on it, pray through it, and live it. Now, one thing interesting about this passage from Jesus, it's called, the, you know, it's called the easy yoke and his burden is light, is if you're familiar with scripture, specifically the teachings of Jesus, Uh, This is one of those seeming paradoxes. I want to do a teaching series, by the way, about some of the paradoxes that we see in Scripture, that two truths that are simultaneously true, but they seem like they can't coexist, and yet they do. Because in Matthew chapter 7, just a few chapters earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about his way being a path that is narrow and difficult, Hard. So, how can the way of Jesus be simultaneously narrow and hard at the same time easy and light? Do you see the paradox there? And let me explain it to you like this. Certainly, there's a cost that comes with our calling to follow Jesus. I mean, he was very in how we tell the gospel, and Jesus was very upfront. There is certainly a cost that comes with our calling to follow Jesus. Uh, in fact, the moment that you declare your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the enemy declares war on you. You enter into spiritual warfare. There's external opposition. We are told by Jesus himself that if we follow him, we should expect to face resistance, opposition, and persecution. So there's this external difficulty that comes with following Jesus. And then there's the internal difficulty of actually following him, right? Right? There's still the flesh that we have to deal with. There's sanctification, there's obedience to the way of Jesus, and that's a tall order, right? That's a, be, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's, is that easy to do? Obviously not, right? So yes, the way of Jesus is narrow and difficult, and yet, we can also say, when it's motivated by the gospel, it's so light because the motivation that we have is the grace, forgiveness, and the mercy that God has shown us. When it's motivated by the finish line, the hope that we have in heaven, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You wanna know how uh, marathon racers can finish the race? Because they know there's a a finish line. And we not only have this beautiful motivation of the gospel, we also have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And I think primarily what Jesus is talking about is yes, it's difficult, but he is with us on the way. He is with us on the journey. And specifically, what Jesus is primarily getting at is he's not, in Matthew 11, saying that, oh, it's a, following me, it's a cakewalk. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is he's actually pointing not as much to the, the way of Jesus as much as he is pointing to himself as a good master. Notice that line, I am gentle and humble of heart. And a yoke was used for oxen, still used for oxen, right? It's a harness that you would put on an ox and usually a wooden harness that goes over their shoulders. And you could have, you know, if you had an oxen that was too big or too small for the yoke, then it would be, it would like add the difficulty. It would double the difficulty of pulling the plow or pulling the cart. And so really what Jesus is saying is he's saying his way, yes, it is difficult and narrow, and yet it is fitting. It is just right. And we know this. If you follow Jesus for long enough, you do face difficulty, but you also understand that there's, this is the good life. This is the life. It's almost like you were created to have a relationship with God, almost like there's, there's something inside of us as human beings that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. And uh, so what Jesus is really pointing us to is not necessarily promising comfort, happiness, and ease along the way. He's promising that he is a good boss. You might say it like this, Jesus is the best boss. Better than any boss saying, hurry up, hurry up, there's work to be done, there's fields to be plowed, there's goods to be moved, he is not a slave driver. And I would just ask you, what do you picture when you picture God? Is it someone with a scowl on his face, someone who's always disappointed, someone who who maybe you're never, in your mind, you're never measuring up to the standard, someone who's judgmental or someone who is gentle and humble of heart? That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us that he is a good master. I wonder how much in our lives the burdens that seem to crush our souls, I wonder how often those are burdens that Jesus never asked us to carry. Because his burden, he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, another thing we might push back on in this passage when it comes to Jesus uh, inviting us into an unhurried life is you might, if, if you know the gospels, you might wonder, well, wasn't Jesus busy? He was very busy. In fact, in, you know, for, for you know, being on planet Earth 2,000 years ago before cell phones and the internet and all of that sort of stuff, he was incredibly, like people tracked him down Right, it's, it's, it's actually impressive how people were always able to find him wherever he was because they wanted something from him. And yet, I've got three ways that Jesus' busyness is different than ours, okay? Lest we try to use Jesus' busyness as an excuse for our overbusy, hurried lives. The first one is that Jesus was busy for the kingdom, but we... Are often too busy for the kingdom. Do you see the difference there? Jesus, what was Jesus busy doing? Was he busy watching Netflix? Was he busy scrolling the news? Was he busy, you know, making a good salary and investing in his 401k? No, he was busy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I would argue that it's hard pressed to find someone today who's busy about the kingdom. What we're busy about is we're busy about everything else except the kingdom. And yet, I think of this line from Jesus in uh, in Matthew chapter six, when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things would be added to you. Now, in that context, in Matthew six, what Jesus is addressing is he's addressing really kind of hurry sickness. People who are running around Right? Running around after food and drink and and clothing. They're running around after all these things. And what Jesus tells us, he's like, listen, if you're gonna seek something, if you're gonna run after something, here's what you better be running after. God's kingdom. And uh, so, like I would just ask you, are you filling your schedule, are you filling your time with things that have eternal significance? This is why Jesus was able to summarize the great commandments, is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And being too busy gets in the way of accomplishing those two most important things. That's the first thing, is Jesus was busy about the kingdom of heaven. We're too busy for the kingdom of heaven. The second thing is that Jesus was busy for a season, but I would argue we are busy all the time. Do you realize Jesus wasn't always so busy? Like, we read in the Gospels that there are times where he didn't even have time to eat. So many people were coming and going. He's like, we need to get away. Let's get in the boat. They go across the Sea of Galilee, and there's people. And he's like, I guess I'm going to do some more teaching and some more healing today. But what we read in the Gospels is we have about three years, and we, what we don't see is the other 30 years that the Son of God walked planet Earth. What's three out of 33? It's like 10%, Right? So for only about 10% of Jesus' life was he in this public ministry role. And you want to know what he was doing the other 30 years? Well, we're not actually quite sure because it's so obscure. He was living in obscurity, working a blue-collar job. He 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 actually this is mind-blowing when you really slow down and start thinking about this. The son of God who knows that the world needs salvation. Not like the moment that he's done memorizing the Torah, he's like, all right, time to enter into ministry. You know what he does? He's like, what what does Joseph do? He's a carpenter. I'm gonna learn to be a carpenter. I'll just do that for a few decades. Like, this is insane when you actually think about it. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse three. People actually, before they knew Jesus as a rabbi, a traveling teacher, people in his hometown knew him as a carpenter. Says this, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So he actually worked and made money and supported his family and took care of, took care of things. And so for about 30 years, he wasn't like slam-packed, not getting a meal. He worked this kind of slow, regular job. And for us, I wonder how much of the time we take a busy season and we just accept that as the new norm for our lives. I guess I'll just be this busy forever. And, and I, once again, I'm right there with you. The last two years of my life been the busiest season ever. I mean, you talk about you know, building renovation and fundraising and three small children and all of these things, like compounding. And yet, what well, we have to keep remembering when we enter into busy seasons. And I'm not saying you won't ever be in a busy season. Right? If you're a college student and you're working three jobs, like, those are going to be busy seasons. If you have small children at home, those are going to be busy seasons. But what we must not do is, is kind of accept that this busy season is now the baseline for my life. We must look for an end to that season and a transition into a new way of life. So that's the second thing. Jesus was busy for a season, and I would argue we are kind of busy all the time. And then the third, the third difference between Jesus's life and ours, I, I notice, is that Jesus does a lot, but we do too much. Jesus knew his limits, and I would argue that Jesus never actually went beyond those, that, that, but we kind of don't act like we have limits at all. There's a difference between doing a lot and doing too much. And uh, to illustrate this, what I want to show you is one of my favorite charts. Anyone excited for a chart? <laughs> this is called the human function curve. It was created by a British cardiologist. Do you know what a cardiologist Because he noticed the adverse effects that stress and busyness has on your, on your heart, and like, heart disease, and heart attacks, and that sort of thing. So he created what's called the human function curve to illustrate, uh, to, to show us the difference between what he calls good stress and bad stress, or good stress and distress, is then adopted by Pastor John Tyson for the purpose of discipleship. John Tyson at Church of the City of New York. And then this chart was adapted uh, by me. So here's my version of the human function curve. Uh, what you see is, is you see you know, on, on uh, the y-axis is performance, so like your output, all the things you're doing, and then uh, you have pressure or stress on the x-axis. And there's a point where it actually is good to be somewhat busy, productive, you're doing something. You realize humans were not created to be lazy. We're not created to do nothing. We were created on purpose, straight line. The more that you do, the more that you'll be able to do. Does that make sense? That we hit this peak, peak performance, where good stress turns into distress, and then all of a sudden, our productivity and our output goes way down. And what John Tyson does is he, he basically says there's, there's these different paces. At the, at the first side of it, there's a complacent pace which is someone who's kind of sleepwalking through life. Uh, They're not really doing much. They're not really living on purpose. Maybe they're distracted. They play a lot of video games, or they scroll on social media. They kind of like do a lot of those like time-filler kind of things, but they're not really doing much with their life. That's what John Tyson calls a complacent pace. And that will leave you bored. And I would argue, you live that way for long enough, that will leave you filled with regret. You will look back at a moment in your life, after all the distractions are over, and you will say, man, I wish that I did more with my life. But then on the other side, that's not really exactly what we're talking about. Really what we're talking about in this teaching series is what's called the fatal pace. A fatal pace is when you're doing so much, you're past good stress, you're now in distress, and all of a sudden you you start to experience fatigue, you experience fatigue long enough, exhaustion, ill health, and then breakdown or burnout. If you live that way, if you we could say if you redline long enough, it leads that direction, and so there's this sweet spot right in the middle called, that John Tyson calls sacred pace, and it's where you're healthy. You as a human, like you're still healthy, you're you're productive, so you're doing stuff. Especially, you're doing the most important stuff. You're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, But you're productive, and you're also present. You're able to actually look someone in the eyes and have a conversation. You're able to be present with people. Uh, In the missional uh, life course, this is how uh, John Tyson and Tyler Preeb define what sacred pace is. They say this. It's walking and working with God under the leading of the spirit. It is about asking, What is God doing? And how can we step into that as a response? I love that, walking and working under the direction of the Holy Spirit. You know, significantly, the Bible uses the word walk time and time again for how we're meant to live. It's almost used as a synonym for how you live your life, It's walking. And we talk about walking with God. I love how John Ortberg puts it. He says this, following Jesus cannot be done at a sprint. If we want to follow someone, we can't go faster than the one who is leading. I wonder how much we're trying to run faster than Jesus. Time and time again, we're, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, walk in the good works that he has for us, walk with God. And then in Galatians 5, 25, Paul is talking about walking by the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with The spirit. And I think that's a really good image to have in our minds. What it means to walk with someone is it means, and I've got dogs, so I'm really used to like this kind of like the dog illustration. But uh, my parents have a dog, and it is a, it's, I'll put it nice, he's out of shape, okay, this dog. Charlie is his name, and uh, he goes like 10 feet down the sidewalk, and sometimes he just sits down, and he's like, I'm done. That's my walk, and you can, you're like, I've only tried to take him on a walk a few times, and then I'm just like, it's a lost cause, right, and you can like, yeah, you can come on, buddy, come on, and he just won't go. We shouldn't be like that. That would be a complacent pace in life, and if that's the case for you, Especially if you're, if you're kind of sleeping on uh, the kingdom of heaven and doing the good works that God has called for you. The Holy Spirit, no doubt, is trying to tug on that, like, come on, keep up. We've got, there's work to be done. Jesus is coming back, right? And yet for many people, I wonder how much, I've got the opposite of Charlie. I've got two blue healers at home and I take them out and and, uh, usually they're really good at like keeping in step with me, but sometimes they're just like, especially if I I haven't taken them out for a while and they're off leash, they're just like pew, 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 like everywhere on the trail, right? I wonder how much that's how we are. where We're running after all of these other things and if we wanna walk by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying, slow down. In fact, you're running after the wrong things, you're off trail. You're running after things in some ways that can even hurt you and do damage to you. And so would we as a church learn to walk with Jesus at the pace to keep in step with him? So what is the pace that Jesus walked? Well, you see Jesus, like I said, in the gospels, he's always on the move, he's always, doing, he's always going somewhere. Most of the gospels, Jesus is on his way somewhere and yet, He's never. One of my favorite ones is in Luke chapter eight. You have Jairus, whose daughter is deathly ill. He finds Jesus along the sea, and uh, he he asks Jesus if he will come at once. Translation: Hurry. My daughter's dying, hurry, you've gotta come. And Jesus agrees, and so they start walking, but the problem is there's this huge crowd surrounding Jesus and everyone's kind of pushing and shoving, and so they're going as fast as they can, but you know, in reality, if, especially if you're a gyrus, they're not going nearly fast enough right? Everyone still is kind of grabbing at Jesus. And then at one moment, there's a bleeding woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's had this ailment. And uh, she has this, this thought, if I can just, if I can sneak in there and just touch Jesus's uh, garment, I'm going to be healed. And she does. She touches Jesus's robe. She experiences healing. And she got her drive-by miracle. And she's, she's about to leave. And Jesus, at what, he feels this happen. And he stops, And he says, who touched me? And uh, I wanna read to you, because it's kind of an absurd question, who touched him, right? This is what uh, the response of Peter is in Luke 8, 45 through 46. When Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And he stops until the woman comes forward And he looks her in the eyes, he calls her daughter, and he says, because of your faith, you've been healed. And he not only heals her physically, but he actually heals her place in society. She would have been ceremonially unclean, kind of an outcast, and she'd spent all of her money, likely homeless at this point in time, spending all of her money on medicines that did not heal her. And Jesus takes that, and this is a significant moment, but in that moment, what happens next? Do you know the story? A servant comes up. And tells Jairus not to bother Jesus anymore because his daughter has died. And you can imagine the conflict within Jairus at this moment in time. You shouldn't have stopped for that woman. You're wasting my time, right? And he's he's probably furious. And and yet Jesus goes and he performs a greater miracle than healing. He actually raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. I love how this is put in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Anyone? Any Jesus Storybook Bible fans? It's a good like study resource if you want to kind of get that next level. No, it's a, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a powerful resource for discipling your kids. We've read through it uh, a number of times with our oldest daughter already. And uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, in the story of Jairus, and, uh, and, and his daughter and, and the woman, uh, this is how she puts this line. So this is not in the Bible, it's in the storybook Bible, but uh, this is what happens when he stops to ask about the woman. Everyone says this to Jesus, we don't have time, we don't have time, Jesus' friend said, and then she says this line, but Jesus always had time. That's the pace that Jesus walked. He always had time. Time. Was he all? He was on the move. He was busy for the kingdom of heaven, right? So he was using his life for the things that mattered, and yet he always seemed to have time for anyone who would interrupt him. You see this very same thing happen uh, when Jesus hears that one of his dear friends Lazarus is sick. You want to know what Jesus does when he hears that Lazarus was sick? John eleven verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he rushed at once. No. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He's like, all right, I'll go visit Lazarus when when the time comes. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? Don't you care? And Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, Lazarus has died. Very similar, right, to Jairus' daughter. He's too late. And both sisters, Mary and Martha, have the same response. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Translation, why didn't you hurry up? It's too late, and what Jesus proves time and time again is it's never too late for God. And He goes and once again performs an amazing miracle, raises Lazarus from the grave. What we learn from the pace of Jesus is that God has His own timetable, and it's not aligned with yours. He has His own set of priorities. He has His own things. I, it, I've got a, I've got a shout out to Gandalf from Lord of the Rings on this, because it's just too perfect. Where he says that line, you know that line? A wizard is never early, nor is he late. He arrives what? Precisely, precisely when he means to. Okay, that's good stuff, right? <laughs> and it's almost like that's, that really accurately describes God. He's not too early. He's not too late. He, his timetable is precisely what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Time and time again in the Psalms we read this line wait upon the Lord those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength wait upon the Lord significantly the Psalms don't tell us hurry up catch up to the Lord but there's almost this expectation that that we think God is slow when his timetable doesn't align with ours Uh, Peter picks up on this in 2 Peter 3, 9, when he talks about the timetable that Jesus has on returning, on coming back. He says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is what? Patient. Remember what love is? Love is patient. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Jesus intentionally waits to visit Lazarus because he has a greater miracle in mind, right? Jesus stops and he acknowledges this bleeding woman and he has his own priorities. He has his own timetable. And as much as Jairus standing there it thinks Jesus is slow, Jesus is not slow. He is patient. And he has certain things in mind. And I would say for you, the thing that Jesus has in mind on why he hasn't come back from heaven to earth to raise the dead and to to judge the righteous and the unrighteous alike yet. Because the hour is nearing every day, right? The day is nearing that Jesus will return. But the reason he hasn't done it yet is not because he's slow, it's because he's patient. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for more people to hear the gospel and to repent from their sins and to turn to him. So I'm here to tell you today, if you have never yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons, you are one of the reasons that Jesus hasn't returned yet, because he wanted you to have the opportunity to hear the gospel message that Jesus is the son of God, he died on the cross for your sins, he rose again, and he can forgive your sin, he can cleanse you of unrighteousness, he can raise you up into a new life, he can welcome you into the family of God, but he's, he's even waiting on returning from heaven to earth so that you would have the opportunity to hear that message and repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your savior. And I would just ask you, what are you waiting for? Why wait another day on that? Today can be the day that you pray and you ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life. You can put your trust, Jesus is the best boss. He is is the only Lord. He is the only Savior that is worth putting your faith and your trust and living your life for. And the first step in walking with God, you want to know the very first step of walking with God, is receiving the gospel through faith and being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you've been kind of putting off, getting baptized, maybe you missed Church at the Park, you're like, I'll just wait another year till next Church in the Park. I would just say, what are you waiting for? Declare your faith in Jesus through baptism. You can learn more about baptism at hillcityboise.org baptism. The reality is for many of us in our lives, the reason why we are so hurried and anxious and busy, I would argue is not because we have bad motives. I would argue it's very practical, is it not? Where, where you feel like, I don't have enough time to do all of these things, so I need to necessarily speed up, go faster, drink more coffee, maybe energy drinks, sleep less, burn the candle at both ends. Because the reality is, the lawn's not going to mow itself, the baby, babies don't change their own diapers. I wish they did, but they don't. You know, like, groceries aren't gonna shop themselves, although, grocery pickup, that is a nice feature. But the reality, like, there's just certain realities that we live in that aren't, I, I'm not accusing us of, like, ill intent or bad motives. I don't know anyone who wants to live a hurried, anxious, you know, on that, like, verge of breakdown. I don't know anyone who desires that. It's not our motives, it's, it's just practical. And we might actually wonder, is there any escape from this merry-go-round, it's going faster and faster and faster, and yet, our solution, there's not enough time you need to speed up. I just, wanna, I just wanna read Jesus's words from Matthew six twenty-seven. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Is all of our worry and our anxiousness, is it, is it even helping? And, and maybe we could even kind of free this up and say, and which down? This is one of the most counterintuitive, anti-American things to say. And we feel like, you're gonna feel like, I don't have enough time, I need to speed up, I need to perform more. The reality is, if you don't have enough time, the thing that you actually need to do is you need to learn to slow down. You need to learn to eliminate the things that are creating hurry in your life. Paul in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this, look carefully how you walk. Not as, notice, be carefully how you what? Walk, not run. Once again, it's like time and time again. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If you don't intentionally manage your schedule and and spend your time wisely, your time will be spent for you. It's the same way with a budget, by the way. If you ask someone, they're like, I don't know what happens to all my money. I don't know where it all goes. You say, well, do you track it? Do you have a budget? Do you make decisions ahead of time how you will spend your money? If the person says no, it's like, well, that's why. You're not being wise with the, the resource that you have entrusted to you. One of the, the most important, I would argue the most important resource we have is not our money, it's our time. It's our time. Your time is your life. Do you realize that? How you spend your time is how you spend your life. And while you might have seasons where you have more money or less money, you cannot change the amount of time that you get. It is an allotment that God has given to you and is the most precious resource that God is asking you to manage until he returns. And so we need wisdom from God to manage our time. So in, in this teaching series, what I'm asking from you is not to add a bunch more stuff into your schedule. What I'm asking for you is what do you need to do to eliminate hurry from your life? And you, if you're serious about this, it means you're gonna start tracking your screen time more. You're be like, I need to delete that app, or I need to put you know, time limits on that app. It means that you're gonna actually monitor the things that you say yes to. Like, Confession, I should not have scheduled a 10 a.m. Zoom meeting that Friday. That's on me. It legitimately is my fault. I shouldn't have even given that as an option. I should have said, you know what? We're gonna have to reschedule this for next week. What are the things that you need to do a better job saying no to and allowing in your schedule so that you can prioritize your schedule around God's kingdom and his righteousness so that you can be present for the people that matter the most in your life? So this week, it's really simple practice is take an inventory of your life and find anywhere that you can free up margin, that you can eliminate hurry, so that we can practice what we're gonna do in this series, which is learn a slowed-down spirituality from Jesus. Uh, Another just great story that illustrates this is Mary and Martha from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Maybe you're familiar with this. Mary and Martha, by the way, are Lazarus' sisters, and uh, they live in the village called Bethany, and Jesus is visiting them. And uh, I don't know if, he's, uh, if he had announced that he was coming or not, but Martha feels a little bit behind schedule. So she's in the kitchen. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's frantic. She's overwhelmed. She is hurried. And her sister Mary is unconcerned. <laughs> she is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening to him. She's what we would call abiding with Christ, And Martha comes in and she rebukes Jesus, which is never a a smart thing to do. And she's like chewing Jesus out. She's mad at her sister. She says, I feel alone. By the way, that was the 10th symptom, isolation. I feel alone doing all of this stuff. Why don't you, Jesus, tell my sister, my irresponsible sister to get in the kitchen where she belongs and help me, right? You can hear like, whoa, okay. This is Jesus's response to Martha's plea. Luke 10, 41 and 42, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. This, I don't think this is a, a, a harsh rebuke. I think this is a gentle rebuke from Jesus. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The one thing that is necessary that Jesus is referring to is being with him, abiding in Christ, fellowship, with our savior. Are you neglecting the one most important thing that your soul desperately craves and needs? Are you too busy for God? Are you too fast for Jesus? And so we're gonna be learning for the rest of this teaching series, the next four weeks, we're gonna be looking at four different spiritual disciplines. And they all start with S, so it's easy to remember. Uh, And the four different spiritual disciplines are silence and solitude, those go hand in hand, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. And if you're brand new, or maybe you've never heard or never practiced any of those, uh, you're not alone. I would say these are often neglected spiritual disciplines in American Christianity. They are not often neglected spiritual disciplines throughout church history. And I would say these are desperately needed practices for the church today in our modern technological Age. So for the next four weeks, we're gonna be doing one spiritual practice each week. And I would challenge you, this week it's very important that you look at your life, try to eliminate hurry wherever you can so that you would have time to begin to incorporate and add in these spiritual disciplines which you cannot do any of these four in a rush. These are ones you must necessarily slow down. Like you can't rush through a Sabbath because a Sabbath is 24 hours, so how can you like, you can't like skip you. There's no fast forward button on the Sabbath. And uh, so I would just encourage you. I, I pray that these spiritual practices we look at through the remainder of this series would be revolutionary for your walk with God. And that this October, before, significantly before the holiday season, that we would reconnect with God, with the people that he has put in our lives, and we would reconnect with our own I want to close by reading the same invitation we looked at earlier from Matthew 11, but I want to read it uh, in Eugene Peterson's words from the message. I think it's so powerful. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's stand. and worship God. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.